एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं you know you had to buy a scratch card yeah right you had to scratch that scratch card 16 digit number put it on an sms send that sms and and it will get recharged if you remember what has happened since then in the telecom world is that the scratch cards have got removed and there is something called electronic recharge right you just walk into a store and say that you know i want to recharge for 50 bucks 40 bucks 38 so you can recharge for any denomination these days right and by the way it's very core to how the prepaid telephony then scale because prepaid telephony the supply chain got cheaper there was no hardware people could could recharge in any denomination it really went to tier 2 tier 3 all the way to tier 8 even in india and all the retailers could start to participate rather than a few retailers participating with these scratch cards so the beauty of that product actually that product at my experience so closely with the client side actually is the reason for the birth of echo so if you think about it you know electronic recharge look at all what's happening right there is a person with a phone walks to a retailer with a phone and says that why don't you recharge my phone with 500 bucks yeah and he gives cash and he gets an sms which says i've recharged right now think about it i have used the word recharge but i could have also used the word deposit i could have said deposit 500 into my airtel prepaid account right as soon as we kind of started to realize oh this is really a deposit transaction you know sure a deposit transaction in a telecom world is called recharge and the money that goes into that account is only being used for telephone but imagine if the same tech stack is put to a bank what can happen right this tech stack is getting retailers to take in cash and make a deposit happen right because we were techies we could imagine the opposite transaction too which was the withdrawal right imagine if the same stack 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 is put to a bank imagine how much of scale we could bring financial services to okay quick question here the retailer who is taking in the cash how does he uh, operate he has loaded eval recharges so for example what happens is think of this as fmcg right there is a distributor who buys fmcg products in bulk then sells it to the retailer the retailer sells it to the end customer exactly the same way recharges work there are there are distributors who buy bulk talk time 
then they sell bulk talk time a part of that bulk talk time to retailers and retailers then sell individual talk time to customers okay, that's how it works you know imagine the same thing that there is a distributor of state bank of india who puts it value and then sells that value at the same price to the retailer and then retailer kind of does this cash in cash out kind of transaction so we kind of knew we figured this out you know we were techies we figured it out that this can work but your brother was already a co-founder in a company why would he entertain so i'll tell idea? you i'll tell you so the original plan was not to build it outside 60 by the way when we started to do better with prepaid recharge as a platform so once we kind of implemented it in muskat i had fantastic opportunities at that point in time if i'm i forget the name of the operator but but that product gave me the opportunity to travel to bangladesh indonesia so nobody knew about it so it was like like everyone was starting at the same place right and since because it was a new product there were less number of people who knew about it it just opened up the opportunity for me to start pitching as well and it also started because i started to pitch but even when i started to pitch i remember that i didn't stop coding because i just knew the product well so i remember abilash then telling me that hey abina why don't you build a team around this product because now this product maybe i'm mistaken but i think this product at least started to bring back a lot of excitement back to 60 i think the other products were very very competitive space this was a new product there were a lot more people asking for it while i was there maybe we just about managed one or two installations but i think if there were two installations there were at least 20 inquiries that were happening about it and uh, it just gave us a lot of opportunities that one year in 2006 apart from traveling back to muscat multiple times to make sure that the upgrades are happening features are getting released the client is happy all that i used to also travel to countries like indonesia malaysia bangladesh and within the country to start pitching so i had kind of gotten used to this i said yeah i know how to do this and uh, what started to happen was by late 2006 like any startup even 60 was going through a tough time i think there was lot of cash flow issues so while there was traction to this particular product but you know it didn't really match with the cash requirements that we had at that point in time and so what happened was once this product started to get built you know i just thought that you know i wanted to give a name to the product otherwise every name used to be if it's for the sms it was called an sms center if it is yeah. ussd yeah. it was called ussd <laughs> yeah like no 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 i just want to give yeah. it a name yeah. and yeah. you wanted some branding yeah, i don't think so i just thought about branding but i just thought that i want a name to this so we could see that a recharge product how could it morph to financial services mobile commerce mobile payment we could we could start joining the dots and i thought that i think i want to i just thought that there should be a name to this and luckily i used to share my rented place with a friend of mine from school and this guy you know balu his name is balchankar we kind of kind of call him balu balu and i used to kind of live together and uh, i kind of reached out to balu and he said i said you know what i want a name to this so one fine day one saturday sunday I don't recall but you know we said theek hai you know let's just start scribbling every every word that's coming to our mind and one of the many names that i ended up writing was the word echo e c h o and balu kind of turned around and said this is a great word it's a small word but stylize it and don't spell it e c h o spell it e k o so the pronunciation is echo so, so i said i want it to echo and i want it to you know go everywhere but he kind of said that don't spell it e c h o i think it, it's a boring <laughs> spelling spell it e k o it's a hard <laughs> spelling and mm-hmm. that's when echo was a product in 60 it 
It wasn't a company at that back then. And uh, 6D is struggling at that point in time, right? So this happened in, in late 2006. And there were a couple of events that happened after that, which led to the split. When I say split, a few shareholders, including Abhishek, kind of exited out. Everybody who kind of exited out did not want to exit out. So when the split happened, uh, did the eco product go with that you? That was one of the things that we told Abhilash. And we told him that, you know, it's not that we want to do mobile recharge part. Of it. We really want to get into the mobile payments and financial services part of it. Which 60 is not doing, I hope you're okay with that. So at that point in time, I think Abhilash kind of said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not getting into financial services. I'm going to stick to telecoms. I have no issues with you guys trying your, your hand at financial services. So we didn't get any part of code, but we, we had the IP and we said that there was no non-compete with 60 to not do it at that point in time. Both of us telling each other, first 30 days, you're not doing anything. You're just leisure time. And I think it was those 30 days that I traveled to, to Japan and my father was there. And uh, I remember coming back from Japan and I'm like, sure, Abhishek, have you thought about it? Should we do this? And I remember, I, I think Abhishek said, maybe I need another 30 days. I don't want to do anything. And we yeah. <laughs> genuinely wild away time apart from doing some amount of whiteboarding. So we were kind of really flirting with the idea should we do it? Should we not do it? Let's let's whiteboard it too. And so all through February of 2007 to September of 2007, we spent a lot of time whiteboarding. And in this journey of about six months, we managed to go from two co-founders to four co-founders. First of all, Abhishek and I decided that we will work with each other. It wasn't a given at all. So we decided, we spent some time whiteboarding. We kind of enjoyed. We said the two of us can work together. And so we kind of decided that we will do it. This space in 2007 was so new that if you go ahead and if you go ahead and say mobile payments to a lot of people, people wouldn't get it at that point in time. I remember we got introduced to a gentleman by the name of Sanjay Bhargav. Sanjay Bhargav was coming from PayPal exit experience. He had worked at PayPal. So his background is he used he worked for I don't know about 30 years in Citibank. In India, Southeast Asia, finally in the New York, at the New York office. Then he went mm-hmm. from Citibank to X.com. X.com. Okay. Uh, which was uh, Elon Musk's... Uh, exactly. Uh. I think he was, Sanjay was the 10th employee of X.com. X.com got acquired by PayPal. Sanjay and Sanjay's wife, Anita, both were working for PayPal at that point in time in Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, once they kind of, you know, I think, one was, I think, maybe the transaction or whatever it was. They finally decided to come back to India. I think Sanjay and Anita's parents were both getting old. And they wanted to make sure that they are here uh, for their parents. And so they came back from US to India. And I don't recollect how we got introduced to Sanjay. Somebody kind of said that, hey, you know, there's this gentleman by the name of Sanjay Bhargav. Why don't you guys speak to him? He's had the PayPal experience. Why don't you go and have a chat, right? So we ended up having a chat with Sanjay. And Sanjay initially said that, I'm happy to become an investor in you. And we said, okay, you know, before we kind of take in your money, why don't we kind of spend some time more whiteboarding with you? And he kind of pushed us in the right direction. You know, we didn't really know about financial services, don't know banks, we didn't know regulations. He definitely understood a lot more than what Abhishek and I did. You know, he was the guy who kind of taught me what are debits and credits from a banking perspective. So after spending like a couple of sessions with us, 
on whiteboarding. And it was such a new idea at that point in time that Sanjay actually one day told us that rather than being interested in being an investor, he wanted to be a co-founder. And that's how we went from two to three. If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. What was the first product? Like, the, What did you launch with? So the first product was that the platform had the capability mm-hmm. of opening up a bank account. So imagine a retail outlet. The retailer could open up a bank account within a few minutes for a walk-in customer. And then that customer using his mobile or her mobile phone could do deposit and withdrawal transactions. Is this like through smartphones? or No, no, uh, feature phones. 2007. Okay. 2007, iPhone got launched in 2007. Right, yeah. Right? Absolutely feature phone. I'm not getting into the details of how we actually thought about the UX of that. It was beautiful the way we kind of cracked that piece too. And so the first product really was that if we sign up with a bank, we can enable bank with a platform wherein if you sign up retailers on the other side, retailers could open up bank accounts and then each of these customers could do deposit and withdrawal transactions. Now, imagine at that point in time, Akshay, you could only get bank accounts if you walked into a bank branch or the bankers came to your office or home. It is unimaginable that bank accounts are getting opened at retail outlets. It is unimaginable for people to be using their feature phones to do deposit, withdrawal, remittance kind of transactions. Unbelievable at that point in time, right? And so we kind of took this to a few banks, including Citibank that Sanjay had advised us. We were only shown the door. (laughs) We were only shown the door and we said, hey, what the hell are you guys talking about? This cannot happen in banking. It is regulated. We are no fly-by-night operators that, you know, we can do anything on the mobile phone. We can't do it on the retail. What if the the brand gets misused on the retail? So there were many, many, many questions. And certainly we didn't know all the answers. And so what happened was that all the big banks said no to us. Every big bank said no to us. We then got introduced to a gentleman uh, who was a CTO at a bank called Centurion Bank of Punjab. I don't know whether you remember this was a bank. I remember the name Centurion Bank. I didn't know it was Centurion Bank of Punjab. Yeah, it was Centurion Bank of Punjab. And Centurion Bank was a small bank. They wanted to scale in some manners. And they thought that this is an interesting low-cost way of scaling it up, right? You can open bank accounts, you can do deposit withdrawal without setting branches, ATMs, anything this can happen, right? So we signed up with Centurion Bank of Punjab in early 2008. And they said that, you know, we are ready for a pilot, happy to do it. How would the KYC happen in this? We would collect the documents. We would collect address proof and ID proof, physical documents. There used to be a back-end process where we would kind of, you know, seal it and send it to the bank for their approvals to happen. But I think if I'm not mistaken, the rule was that we would allow people to deposit and withdrawal until the bank has approved it. If the bank approves it, the customer keeps going. If the bank does not approve it, as soon as we get the news, the customer is asked to withdraw all the money. You're not allowed to thereafter keep money in the bank account. You are asked to withdraw and we close the bank account. As simple as that. So we had the platform, we kind of demoed it to a couple of times. There are a couple of maybe offline integrations that were done. How does the reports flow here and there? Super exciting times, super exciting times. Lot of learning how banking works and things like that. And I don't recall the date, but maybe it was 9th February. I think it was February. The launch happened. 
I think it's not very difficult to find the, the actual date because the day we were supposed to launch the pilot, that's the day it was announced that HDFC Bank acquired Centurion Bank of Punjab. So initially we thought, our initial thought was, wow, this is fantastic, right? We acquired, we partnered with a small bank and see what happened. You know, we got ourselves a big bank. So the launch started. One question here. This is dependent on you onboarding retailers, right? It is. So it's not a pure software launch. No, it wasn't. How did you onboard the retailers then? We went on the ground. So we started a pilot in a locality in Delhi called Uttam Nagar. We acquired each of the founders, each of the colleagues who were back then, pitched to retailers. We had 30 retailers signed up with us who were trained on the platform and who were then asked to start to do this. So think about it. We had learned it from the mobile network operator. The mobile network operators, it was a very physical, digital kind of a setup, right? So we learned it that way. You know, if you wouldn't recall a lot of companies that are completely digital back then. So you launched with those 30 retailers. Launched with those 30 retailers. And if I'm not mistaken, about 5,000 bank accounts were opened over the, <laughs> the next two months. And people started wow. to do deposit withdrawal. Maybe this was like transaction value of about maybe a couple of lakhs in a month. That's the scale that we got to. And but it was super hard work. This wasn't easy. This wasn't only software. This was hard work from an operations perspective. This was hard work from a partnership with a bank perspective. This was hard work from just understanding banking. Everything. It was just hard work that we had to put in to get it live. And what was the monetization? We charged for the bank account. We charged a little bit of transaction pricing, I think. Something like that. Because we had to pay to the retailers as well, right? So if they were opening a bank account, we had to pay them. So I think maybe there were a couple of transactions which where we were out of pocket. You know, we had funded. So Abhishek and I had some money. We had put in some money. Sanjay had put in some money. Manoranjan had put in some money. Unlike 60, which started with no capital, that was not the case with Echo. Echo had capital in the beginning. So maybe there were a couple of transactions that we said we'll pay out of our pockets. And there were some things that we charged the customers. So the big event then was about two months into the pilot when HDFC got to know about the pilot. They kind of asked us to kind of visit them in Bombay and they communicated to us that they were not interested in taking the pilot forward. The reason quoted to us was that they were thinking of a similar partnership with Vodafone to do this because Vodafone in Kenya had launched M-Pesa. M-Pesa, right. Right. Mm. So HDFC said Mm. that we are aware of M-Pesa. We are in talks and partnership with Vodafone to do M-Pesa in India and therefore we don't want you guys. That was one. And the other thing they said at that point in time, opening up of bank accounts at retail outlets was not a part of the regulation. It wasn't allowed. We had taken a one-off approval from RBI to kind of, rather we had not, Centurion Bank of Punjab had taken a one-off approval. And HDFC being the bank, it said that, you know, I'm not going to play in gray, gray waters. So I don't want this pilot. So whenever that news was communicated to us, we were told that don't open any more bank accounts. And there was a date given to us and we were told them that, you know, every of the customer was transitioned from, let's say, branchless banking that we were providing them to branch banking. So all those 5,000 customers were sent off to the closest HDFC branch where they had to open their bank accounts and get started with usual banking. So the pilot got shut. I don't recall, maybe maybe June, July time frame. We started in February, but maybe like July, August time frame, we were shut. So think about it. Now it's almost a year. We have spent our money. We have done a pilot and we are out again. But what had happened by then was that at least we had some validation that we can do this because the community at that point in time was very, very small. 
there was a little bit of news that had spread saying that Echo is doing branchless banking absolutely on the mobile phones. One such organization, apart from many, which got to know about this was an organization called CGAP. CGAP is a World Bank body and CGAP stands for Consultative Group for Assisting the Poor. And CGAP does a lot of work across the globe, even today, in the space of financial services for the poor. And they got to know about the work that we were doing. So they visited us a couple of times where we were not operational. These guys wanted to kind of know what is happening. They came, visited us. We kind of told them the entire story. We showed them how we were doing transactions. And they were like super impressed. They were like, oh my God, nobody is thinking the way you guys are thinking. Nobody has cracked the transaction and the ease of the transaction on a feature phone that you guys have done. So they were like super impressed. And the policymakers were starting to talk about financial inclusion, you know, National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme, UPA. All of this was getting to start up, talk, talk about financial inclusion was being talked about. And so what happened was that CGAP had a fund. It was called CGAP Technology Fund. The CGAP Technology Fund had two limited partners. One was the World Bank. The second was Gates Foundation. But luckily, what happened? So we were shut. CGAP was super impressed uh, with what the work that we were doing. And what happened was one of the gentlemen in CGAP mentioned to Abhishek in late October that they are keen to talk about our project to the Gates Foundation. So I remember that, you know, we had a couple of people from the Gates Foundation also who came down and kind of spent some time with us to figure out what we were doing. And maybe like a couple of weeks down or maybe a month later, what happened was, I think the Gates Foundation people or uh, CGAP told us that Bill Gates is on a personal trip to India and he has half a day empty in his schedule. And the foundation and the Gates Foundation has asked CGAP, is there anything interesting that Mr. Gates can see in that free half day that he has. And eventually, amongst many candidates that they must have evaluated, they said Echo is the place that Bill Gates should visit. So a lot of things happened in that prep. But on 8th of November in 2008, we hosted Bill Gates for about two hours in our office, took him to the pilot site. What kind of office did you have that time? That's a funny story. Manoranjan's father-in-law had a house in Uttamnagar. His house was our office. So that house is in close vicinity to the market in Uttamnagar. So we hosted uh, Bill Gates in Uttamnagar. We got him to visit our office. We got him to visit at least one uh, retail outlet. So These not, retail outlets were still transacting? No. Like the, the no, Centurion? They were, no, they were not. Right? Right. Okay. It was all okay. closed. Okay. But we could make our platform live, right? Not that our platforms were really integrated to, to the core bank system at, in that point in time. So I, we had the ability to do demo transactions. So anybody, whether it was an investor, whether anybody who wanted to kind of visit us, we had the capability to kind of, you know, take people out and uh, see the pilot. So that's what we ended up doing. That Kirana store owner must have become like your best friend. <laughs> first, the, the first Kirana store was a guy called Sumit Gupta. Bill Gates visited Sumit Gupta's shop. Sumit Gupta was super excited. We were super excited. Sumit is a small investor in Echo today. So that was a huge event and a huge validation that we were in the right track. But the reality of the business was that we were still not live while Bill Gates did come. What that visit got us to do was because he was very impressed with the work that we were doing. CGAP was very impressed with the work that we were doing. Gates Foundation was impressed with the work that we were doing. 
we eventually got ourselves a grant of about 1.8 million dollars from the gate foundation this was if i'm not mistaken this money probably hit us sometime in 2009 maybe 2009 late 2009 don't really recollect now so late 2008 was important for us because you know this bill gates visit happened and the second thing that happened was because the news of what echo was doing had spread a little bit what had happened was there was a gentleman of state bank of india i i think i remember the story correctly the gentleman was a deputy general manager in state bank of india posted in the northeast but he hailed from uttamnagar so in one of his holidays you know he picked up this general story in the market that there is branchless banking happening he then got to know about us and he first reached out to us and then got us in touch with the right gentleman in state bank of india and then we started to pitch to state bank of india so state bank of india had started a similar program with a different company this was around branchless banking it had nothing to do with mobile phones this was to do with biometrics so aadhar had aadhar had not come at that time so this was offline biometric hardware was being used and stuff like that and we were completely based on the mobile phone so state bank of india while they had already started a program with another company they thought that it would be nice to also evaluate echo because echo's model was very different so what had happened was because we came from delhi we started the program in delhi and we said that branchless banking is a need not only in rural parts of the country but also in the urban parts of the country while the other program the state bank of india was running was was rural so we first of all positioned ourselves as the technology platform which was running the front end was on mobile phone and second it was urban and the gentleman in state bank of india thought that our proposition was strong enough to be evaluated and tested out within state bank of india so we started to talk to state bank of india again in late 2008 we got our contracts done in january of 2009 and again in february of 2009 so exactly a year from the start of the situation bank of india's pilot we again started our second pilot with the state bank of india and we've never kind of stopped after that so that was really the genesis of how this business started now even with state bank of india it was just 2009 think about it maybe the first iphone that just started to come in right um i think we were using blackberry phones back then so okay. there was so there was hmm. no android yeah 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 so yeah that all, was the cutting edge and so we built for the feature phone we innovated for the feature phone abhishek from all the way from 2002 was thinking about feature phones i was thinking feature phones from 2005 and now it's about 2009 10 time kind of time frame right and that's where the first bus if i can ask if i can say was was missed because when the smartphones started to come into india we thought that this was only for the well off and i don't think so it was a wrong assumption but the speed at which it started to increase and the speed at which products started to be built on smartphone in 2010 11 time frame was also fairly fast and by 2010 11 i think we were fairly deep into state bank of india trying to do this branchless banking for let's say the low and moderate income so even if the smartphone penetration had started to happen for the top end we still kind of held our beliefs that you know we can continue to build for feature phone i think that's where we made our first mistake first big mistake that we didn't catch the fundamental changes that were happening in the tech stack i think even in 2021 there may be a startup which is building for the feature phone but it's not the future it's it's not the future right 
and even the venture space and all of that because you know our argument with the venture space was our space is big right venture space i think we understood this later said you are not the future i think both of them are true even in 2021 my space is big but i'm not the future right you know we were late to react to smartphones we kind of changed our tech stack closer to i think 2000 late 2013 2014 by then it was late what was the impact like there were less people who were uh, using no, 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 ecos no, no, branchless no, no, no. banking none of that none of that yeah. it was increasing the vc investing didn't happen like exactly. you could attract vc funds exactly okay. so we raised capital in 2011 but we were never able to raise subsequent rounds right because we raised our capital let's say in june of 2011 let's say if we wanted to raise again in 2013 In 2013, I think there were not too many people who wanted to hear the feature phone story. I am certain in 2013, 80% of Indians had feature phones. More number of feature phones were being sold than smartphones. But I think the writing was on the wall that feature phone is still not the future. We certainly didn't react well in time for that. The way I kind of think about this problem is that when we started Echo, the most admirable company in India back then was Airtel. and we thought let's build atl for the financial services now imagine leave 2021 but even if you think 2017 2018 time frame entrepreneurs coming into financial services fintech are not thinking atl right they are thinking flipkart they are thinking let's build flipkart kind of stuff let's let's build something like uber let's build something like ola let's build something like swiggy right they are not thinking physical acquisitions they are not thinking feature phones not that we were thinking feature phones in 2017 their learning stack is very different than my learning stack so for a couple of years we had the argument to say that you know my space is very big india is full of cash right it's not going to go anywhere not that we were wrong even in 2021 india is only saying that we have lot more cash than what we had in demonetization right not that we have been proven wrong however the the investor community has taken a view that this is not future and when i kind of take a step back and i say yeah they are right when i'm doing it and i'm very close to the situation and very close looking at echo sure you know i feel bad about it and i can defend it endlessly but when i take a step back i say sure they were right right that this is not the future we pivoted many times since 2011 see look at even after 2011 when we raised our capital it is it is 10 years of that too who was the investor in 11 how much did you raise we have an investor by the name of creations investment they are based out of chicago and uh, in totality i think they've invested about 6 and a half million dollars so we've been fairly fairly frugal if i continue to scale and grow echo over the last 14 years just not having been on the right side of the investor community but had to pivot a lot of times what were the pivots like if you could like headline the first pivot was don't open bank accounts but get into a transaction called domestic money transfers if you think about it people don't want to open bank accounts that's not their problem but the problem that they were facing was migrants wanted to send money back home first big pivot that happened in 2010 2011 was we moved away from opening up a bank account business to domestic money transfer mm-hmm. business the mm-hmm. second pivot that happened in about 2 years time was to move from feature phones to smartphone the third pivot was to not partner with banks but to get ourselves a wallet license and do the business ourselves 
the problem that we were solving was remittances. So one was go from account opening to remittances. Second was go from feature phones to smartphone. Third was don't be dependent on bank partnership, but get yourself an independent license so that you can operate as an independent operator. Which then means you can do any bank account, like transfer from any bank to any bank. Right? Yeah, there were multiple advantages. You could decide your own product, you could decide your own pricing, you could decide your own branding, you could do it to multiple bank accounts, many other things. So by the time we kind of finished this third pivot and started to scale, that's when demonetization happened. And demonetization was not too kind to us. So while it kind of really helped the digital players a lot, it significantly affected our business because... You we, were in the business of moving cash from A to B. A to B, right? And cash yeah, got yeah, disrupted. Yeah. So right, one, right. one big problem that we faced was end of 2016. Wherein we lost about six to eight months. The business went down and just to recover back, it took about six to seven months, right? That was hard. Then we started to scale again. And all through 17, 18, 19 was all scale, 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 scale. But yeah, about, this is all still dependent on retailer tie-ups. Yeah, yeah, we got efficient with it. We opened up different ways. So before COVID hit us, we had about 200,000 2 lakh retail outlets. We were processing close to about 2,500 crores of transaction processing a month. In FY20, the retailers had serviced a little less than 2 crore end consumers from their side. So that was the space that we were kind of operating. That was the scale at which we were operating COVID. COVID has been brutal, super brutal, right? Because you and I can work out of homes. But again, retailers, small businesses, low and moderate income people, people employed informally, earning in cash, it's been brutal, right? It's been certainly a very tough last 12 to 18 months. The fourth pivot that we've managed to do is that now it was only in COVID that I just felt that it was philosophically wrong for me to personally continue to work from office and ask my sales colleague to go out there and acquire retail outlets. I said, I will never do this. You know, this is just so unfair. So over the last six, eight months, that's been another pivot, which is say completely digital. So today, oh, I'm happy to share that it's been about six months now that every retailer acquisition that we do is 100% hmm. digital. That's amazing. I don't think any of the fintech companies have managed to achieve 100% digital. They certainly have not. And so while they position themselves as fairly digital companies, I don't think so they're very digital from an ops perspective. I think they're very, very, very manual. Right? They may be signing up their customers digitally, but see, we are a team of only about 50 people. And we have gone completely digital. What is the secret sauce behind digital onboarding of retailers? I mean, why is nobody else able to manage it? How did you manage it? How do you reach them first? Like, is it Facebook ads? Or? Yeah, Google, Facebook. Google, Facebook. Okay. See, getting ads and getting downloads is okay. But ensuring that the signups, the approvals, the ops behind it is also digital and automated is the tough part. I think that's where people are making a mistake. I think what is happening is everyone's spending on Google and Facebook. Everyone's getting their apps downloaded. But I don't think so. They are ensuring that the processes at the back end are also automated. See, there are a lot of fintechs have got a lot of money. As a result of which, they have the ability to throw people at the problem. Since we are not sitting at those kind of luxuries, so we'd really try hard to throw tech at the problem. Now, certainly it's not easy because, you know, tech, there is a time to build it, there's a time to test it, there's cost to it. And sometimes if you just put people to the problem, you might face the eventual scale with a lot of difficulty, but the initial scale is a lot easier, right? 
into digital acquisition so bharat pay is not a direct competition to me but bharat pay is also like merchants i mean they targeting merchants they are though, certainly targeting uh, merchants but we are targeting not remittances they are not targeting remittances or other kind of services so some of the services that we do right so mm-hmm. see the question is they are not competing with us today we are about to compete in 6 months time and i have no doubts in my mind about it because everybody is attempting to go much deeper into the relationship with the retail outlet now why would you not do a remittances or why would you not do not five other things that that we do or why will echo not think about doing the five other things that let's say bharat pay or a khata book or somebody else does everybody will do it so so like any competitive world is going to be competitive world so i think what has happened is is people who have a lot of money are certainly doing digital acquisition my subsector is not betting big on digital acquisitions today but i'm very sure that that since we are showing the path there will be a lot of people who kind of follow it who is directly competing with you in terms of remittances you know for example likes of there's a fino payments bank there is airtel payments bank there is paytm payments bank there is a company called spice mobile there is pay nearby another company based out of bombay so there are many more many more many more see if we get to scale people in the industry will get to know about it and people will copyright i have no doubts about it because it is certainly a much more scalable process even if it is not a cheaper process it is certainly a much more scalable process and that's what we are experiencing right now that's been the latest uh, pivot the other pivot that we've also managed in the last 6 8 months is that today we do not position ourselves as a money remittance company today we position ourselves as an opportunity stack for let's say the sellers on our platform we don't even call them retail outlets or merchant we call them sellers because remittances while it's one of the most popular service it's not the only service now there are a few more services that, that the seller is able to do and what all are they like so there is remittances there is cash out there is insurance there is utility bill payments there is recharge we are also working with edtech platform we work with entertainment platform see all of these brands are also okay. also interested in acquiring so like you could pay for a netflix subscription hmm. bang on so if you go in that direction okay. you can almost partner with almost every other app which is present on the play store or the app store right because many brands wish to collect their money from their customers who continue to earn in cash or who more who are comfortable with cash right so one side of echo is transaction processing which is like opening up a lot of transactions but our business is about lending so what we do today is that basis all the data transaction data and all the engagement data that gets collected over our platform what we do is really lending to the sellers so if you think about it from when i use the word opportunity stack there are three parts to this so as soon as we ventured into digital acquisition what also happened is the retail is not the only cohort of sellers who sign up with us we've got 30% of our sign ups on a daily basis is individuals so women okay. house housewives men students hmm. retired hmm. government servants so these are like it. micro entrepreneurs like ultra somebody small, who ultra small entrepreneurs yeah. may or may huh. not have a shop front Cert- hmm. certainly but they have, have a network and they want to offer this to them absolutely networks. so if it's a retail outlet hmm. the walk in is the natural flow if it's an individual they kind of create a community of customers around them so today we kind of sign up both 
retail outlets as well as its, its, its individuals through our digital process. We offer hmm. and your signups are like what tier one, tier two, like across, uh, across, across. So hmm. about thirty percent, hmm. okay. about thirty forty percent are also tier three, tier two, tier three downwards. So we are signing up in Delhi, and we are also signing up somebody in Patna, and also fifty kilometers outside of Patna. We are doing all of that. Digital acquisition kind of helps us go across, right? So opportunity stack converts into a digital store for the seller. This digital store has three parts to this. One are transactions which increase your revenue. You know, for example, you can sell insurance, you can sell an edtech product, you can sell an entertainment product, you can do remittances, etc. Then there's a part of product which is to digitize your own business, which is to say that, which is to say QR codes, which is to help help you file your GST returns, pay your. So let's say if you have five people who work for you, pay their salaries digitally rather than cash. So. More more transactions, newer transactions for you to earn more money, digitize your business, and basis all the transaction, the engagement data that gets generated over the first two pillars, create a, we've created a proprietary underwriting algorithm to lend to hmm. our sellers. That, that QR code product is like same as what Bharat Pay is offering, like absolutely. collect payment. So many solutions. Hmm. So hmm. think about many solutions to increase your revenue, many solutions to digitize hmm. your business. And to get hmm. access to credit, that's really okay. the three halves. So in a way, Bharatpay would become your closest competitor. It will. I See, guess. in many ways, hmm. so will Khatabook, so hmm. will Pagarbook, okay. so will Bharat. So hmm. there is. But are you offering like Khatabook kind of like digital ledger? Uh, not yet, not yet. But it's in the pipeline. We are thinking about it. There is a ledger hmm. kind of a product which is there between our distributor and retail outlets, but it is not open between the retailer and the end consumer. So there are many ways to think about this, Akshay, right? How do you compete with Khatabook, who has so much of money behind it and brand and power? So I think there's a handful of things that we have to think about for the next next 10 years for us to survive. Let's see what we do. Okay, okay. So uh, in the last 10 years, you've not raised any funds. There's just that in no, 2011. The same investor did a follow-up round in 2017 as well. But I mean, considering the space that you're now in, like, you know, that Bharat uh, Khatabuk kind of a space, uh, I guess there should be pretty strong investor interest. No? Are you like having conversations or? See, our legacy also doesn't work for us, right? There are like super young, uh, you know, <laughs> the likes of Abhinav in 20, 2006, 2007 are opening up Khatabuk right now, right? So, so very, very bright entrepreneurs, very bright entrepreneurs with all the energy to go on for the next 10 years. So not only we have to fight for our space in terms of ideas, we have to fight our legacy, we have to fight. We always have to answer for why has our journey been the journey that we have been on, right? So a lot of people kind of come and come and tell us that, you know, you guys can raise around very quickly, but why don't you start again rather than continue to build on Echo? So, you know, there are, so there are options on the table that one has to explore and see what's best for us, right? So let's see what happens. What is your advice to people who are dreaming about starting up? Start early. It takes time, right? It really takes time. And I often used to say that I wish I was 24 again <laughs> with all the information that I have right now. So my one singular advice is just get started. I think I actually, you know, honestly, I don't know how an entrepreneur who's starting off today is thinking about it, right? Because in our times, it genuinely was jumping off the cliff. Right. And building your plane on the way down. Yeah. yeah. And and all for the good reasons. You know, the VC community is much stronger. The entrepreneurial support structures are much stronger. Sometimes it feels that access to capital has certainly become a lot better. So I think it's 
the times are only continue to get better so that was abhinav talking about his journey of scaling up echo if you want to know more about what all echo offers then check out echo.in that's e k o . i n This episode of Founder Thesis podcast is brought to you by Long Haul Ventures. Long Haul Ventures is the long haul partner for founders and startups that are building for the long haul. More about them is at www.longhaulventures.com.